With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday night, March 6, 2016. The regular season has concluded for Duke. Uh, so we will be talk, wrapping that up and talking about the postseason tonight. But before we get into that, I'd like to introduce our hosts. Uh, as usual, I am Sam Klein coming to you from Denver, Colorado. Uh, and we also have Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Hey, what's up, everybody? And Jason Evans. Jason, where are you right now? So I'm not in my usual spot. I'm not in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm at a hotel. Um, I just left the hotel room that... Um, my wife and my son are in so that I could go to someplace quiet to record the podcast. I'm in like a club room at the Sheraton Warwick, which is like right outside Providence. We're up here because my son's looking at colleges. We're looking at Brown, although he still says um, Duke is his number one choice. Uh, well, good. I, uh, I did a college visit to Brown and thought it was weird. So um, you got to make perhaps... the other colleges feel like they have a chance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, um, I don't want to spoil it for him, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying not to bias him at all. But I'm quite pleased that at the moment it looks like Duke is the one he likes best. This week was a bit of an eventful week for Duke. We uh, we found out that Duke scored a commitment from an Australian player named Jack White, uh, who apparently is not a guitar player. And um, Duke also lost a game to UNC Chapel Hill in Durham, uh, a close game, and. And finally, Duke announced that Emil Jefferson would be um, would be seeking the medical redshirt for this season and will be looking to play his, his quote, senior season in the 2016-2017 season. So I guess we'll start with the UNC game because it's the most tangible thing that yep. happened. Um, yep, for sure. Jason, Jason, I'll, Jason, I'll throw it to you. It was, a, it was kind of an interesting game. Um, what were your takeaways from it? I mean, it's impossible to talk about this game and not talk about the rebounding. Right. I mean, right. that's Absolutely. the takeaway. I'm glad you're starting there. I, I have to start there. I, I'm, I'm Mr. Numbers. I always look at numbers. I always talk about numbers. 64 to 29, 64 to 29, 35 more rebounds. I, there are, as evidenced by the fact that Duke only got 29 rebounds, there are plenty of games where teams don't get 35 rebounds. Most games, teams don't get 35 rebounds. Carolina got 35 more than Duke. They had 27 offensive rebounds. We had 21 defensive rebounds. That meant when they, when they bothered to miss, and they did miss a lot, when they bothered to miss, there was a better chance they would get the ball than we would. And it's impossible to win that way. I'm going to give you a, a few other numbers that just jumped out at me looking at the box score. Their second leading rebounder, the second best rebounder on their team, got 14 rebounds. That's a crazy – 14 is a huge number. Kennedy Meeks had 14 rebounds. Bryce Johnson had 21. Their second leading rebounder had 14. Their leading rebounder had 21. Combined, 35. That's more than Duke had as a team. Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, more rebounds than Duke has as a team. Give you another good number. You want to know why Carolina won this game? It wasn't just the rebounds. Free throws. 
Carolina is not a great free throw shooting team. They shot 87% against Duke, 20 of 23. Duke, who's a fairly good free throw shooting team, unfortunately found Marshall Plumley at the line a lot. And by the way, uh, it, it's it's absurd and ridiculous that Grayson Allen only took two free throws in this game. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's like the officials decided they were not going to call any fouls when Grayson Allen went toward the goal. But so Duke shot nine of 15 at the free throw line, 60%. Carolina, 87%. Crazy huge. Duke, 60%, which is lower than usual. If both teams merely shoot 70%, and 70% is a very reasonable free throw percentage. That's the kind of number that most teams would say is their goal. That's right around where, you know, where you hope to be. If both teams shoot 70 free, 70% in their free throws, Duke wins this game. The, uh, you know, it was sort of like the first game. There's no reason, no business from watching the game uh, for, for Duke to be as close as we were, for us only to be down. We, we had it tied at 49. We were only down, um, you know, it, it kept on feeling like we kept like cutting it to one possession and Carolina would get free throws. But, I mean, it was a nip and tuck game in the final minute, um, thanks mostly to Grayson Allen and, uh, uh, and, and Luke Kennard, who both had really, really nice games and carried us from a scoring standpoint. Um, I'll, I'll tell you something I'm a little concerned about. Brandon Ingram really seems like, like since the Virginia game, um, or maybe, or actually, I guess since the Carolina game, Virginia game and the Carolina game, he's been in a bit of a funk. It, it, you know, we've talked about these guys being exhausted and hitting the wall, things like that. I think the wall is, it, not only has Ingram hit the wall, the wall's hitting him back hard. <laughs> and, and Ingram is, is, is really struggling at this point, especially with his, uh, with his outside shot, with his jump shots. Um, and, and uh, you know, he, he was in foul trouble, bad foul trouble in this game. Um, basically, you know, he, he was a non-entity for Duke in the in the first half. He was able to play more in the second half. But, um, uh, you know, it's a game that, we well, had yeah. no business being in. And, and yet we only I, lost by four. How did we only lose this game by four? I don't really know. I don't really know how we made up all those points. I think I, I pointed out I was watching with some friends. Um, I think I mentioned you guys. Yet last week I was going to be watching up in the, in the mountains of Colorado. Um, and we were like – Brandon Ingram basically hasn't played tonight and, and, the, and Duke is keeping it close. And it felt, you know, until the last probably five, six minutes, it felt very similar to the first Carolina game where it was like Duke is hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. They have the lead. They don't have the lead. Like it, despite the fact that Carolina was playing better, um, it did, it did feel like Duke was hanging around. And, and the point about Ingram, I think is the most important, which is that he was obviously saddled with foul trouble. Kay didn't really want to leave him out there with, to, to get a third foul. And, and that's, kind of in the story for this team is that when you have uh, when you have limited depth the way this team does uh, and, and it's not like Ingram really has anybody who can back him up that can do anything close to what he can do uh, if he gets two fouls then you have to make a in the first half you have to make a decision about if you're gonna leave him out there um, and and I think I, I said before about this team that one of the you know because the margin of error is so small I would rather actually have the guys out there with foul trouble because if you sit them, it's not like things are going to get any better. So you might as well just play through and have everybody foul out and and lose the game rather than you know sit them on the bench. I was actually surprised that he sat with two fouls as long as he did. I would have preferred um, I would have preferred for him to play a little more in the first half and hopefully get through it and maybe keep the game a little closer um, because when when Ingram isn't right. Uh, the, the team doesn't quite function as well. And as you pointed out, Grayson Allen, it's not like Grayson Allen was getting any calls. He, he was consistently driving and not, and not getting the foul calls. And that really changes the way that, you know, his effectiveness for this team. So I, I, you uh, know those what, things I, were concerning to me. I, I, I know we, let's go to Donald, but before, 
before we do you because you're talking about ingram because i brought it up and because i just looked it up brandon ingram shooting percentages over the past six games you ready it's starting with the unc game i mentioned the uva game was sort of the last time he was really Go really for good from the field 33 yeah. percent against unc 30 percent against louisville 35 percent against florida state 38 percent against pitt that's his best game 38 percent his best 30, game and 38 is probably fine given given how many tough shots he takes yeah 35 percent against wake and then 25 percent just three of 12 against unc but i mean i haven't done the math but my guess would be that he's hitting maybe 33 to 35 percent of his shots over the past six games uh, and and this is a guy who you know you're right he takes a lot of tough shots but on the season he's hitting 44 percent of his shots right we he, he needs to get better um, for Duke to really have a chance to make a run now that the postseason's here. Donald, your turn. You add, yeah. So I, there's the – you talked about the rebounding. You talked about the free throw shooting. The one thing I want to talk about, we, we asked ourselves how we were in this game the entire time. We never led this entire game. We were only tied. That was the closest we got. In the end, it like take away all the stats from this game except one. We shot 37.3% from the floor. If we shot 38%, we win this ball game. And that's like, that is indicative of how close this game really was. It didn't seem like that UNC ever really tried to pull away from us. They, the one thing about their shooting, we know they're not a good free, uh, three point shooting team. Who are they bad? <laughs> they, they're four for 23. However, it seemed like those. But apparently, four, they learned how to shoot. And I shoot threes in this game. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> there were four for 23, and it seemed like those four threes came at really opportune times for them that killed a lot of momentum that would have either given us the ball in a position to tie or take the lead. And it seemed that was the most frustrating part is we got so close so many times, and each time there was either a layup because they rebounded the ball like 25 times in one possession, it seems, <laughs> or they hit a, a, a back-breaking three where you're like, like now Joel Berry's hitting three-pointers now? Like any three-pointers. I'm not, it's not like they went off. He hit two of them. And like it, it just seems like that was the most frustrating part for me. In the end, I'm not even upset about this game because we everything we've talked about, after all that, we lost by four points to a team that probably, you know, on paper sh- should have run us out of the gym. And I think that's a testament to, you know, the heart that we that this team has showed. You know, even if they don't have the legs, even if they didn't have the shooting night that uh, we would normally expect from them, they were still fighting to the very end. And it came down to UNC making one of their 20 free throws that they made in the game to seal the victory. And even that was still in doubt. So uh, I, I'm not really upset about this game and you know I, I don't like losing the unc obviously but it's it's a game that i felt very you know positive about the way we played uh in most aspects of the game the only really you know negative in my opinion was the rebounding okay i think um i, I think we we have a few topics we want to get to and i, I want to i want to make sure we touch on all of them and i know that jason is under the gun here so um let's move on uh, the next piece of news for there are the first piece of news i kind of want to go over this week and I think it might just be quick reactions, is that Duke uh, secured a commitment from a wing player from Australia named Jack White. He's a three-star player, but he he hasn't really played a lot in the U.S., so his his exposure to other U.S. players is kind of limited. Um, did either of you guys have a comment about the, the Jack White recruitment or the commitment or kind of what it means and, and where you project him going forward, um, Donald? Yeah, so I, I think the the one thing about Jack White is, you know, his stats – 
on paper don't look like anything very impressive. So I, I take it to mean that there's something about him, about his character, about his game, or about his potential that that Duke is very high on, and that's why they went and got him. Uh, you know, looking at a couple of websites, especially from there's a good article about uh, about his recruitment on uh, on DVR on the front page, and he talked. They talk about how he's a three and D prospect who hits open threes, and he's very well-rounded and finishes above the rim and is a fantastic rebounder on both ends of the floor. Of course, rebounding is something we just talked about. We're, we're really going to need. So if anybody's going to be able to do that, whether it's you know, you know, in practice or, or in these games next year, um, rebounding is going to be essential uh, for us to be successful, and I think that's going to be good that we're getting it from this guy. So maybe he's flying under the radar, maybe because he's in Australia and not a lot of people have heard about him. Maybe Duke has seen something that that the rest of the nation hasn't. And I'm, I'm really actually very excited to see what this kid can do. So uh, the thing I feel about Jack White is it's impossible for us to really judge what this guy is going to be um, uh, because he hasn't played against the kind of competition that, uh, you know, hasn't played against, uh, you know, elite high school level competition. He's playing, uh, you know, at the Australian Institute of Sport, which is like they separate the very best Australian players and they, they these guys play together. But, but uh, you know, and they play against other international teams and such like that. It's not the same kind of path that we're used to with other guys that we recruit from the States. Um, and, and so it's it's just tough to judge him. Um, he does have nice size and length. He appears to have good athleticism. Um, so those things would bode well. I, I mean, I don't think anyone should expect him to be an immediate impact recruit. Um, you know, Coach K tries to pepper his recruiting classes with guys who, you know, are potential one and done um, or two and done kind of players. Uh, and those are the guys that get most of the attention. And then hopefully you have guys who develop over the course of time. Um, and I think Jack White is probably more, especially because he hasn't been playing against, you know, elite U.S. high school competition. Um, he's probably someone who's going to take a little more time to develop. And to be honest, he's a wing. And Duke appears to be loaded, 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 loaded on the wing next year. So, you know, maybe he red shirts or, or I don't know. He'll play a tremendous amount for Duke right away. But it's maybe the kind of guy that by 2019 we're, we're going, yeah, this guy's a really important player for Duke. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm going in knowing that we knowing that we know very little. I'm going in just assuming nothing about what he will uh, what he'll contribute to the program, and if he does end up being an impact player for us down the road, great. If not, um, you know, he he seems like a depth pickup. Uh, obviously, this came after the sort of normal recruiting cycle was over, and his list of other schools that are that were pursuing him is not especially attractive. So um, I, I guess I'm just gonna wait and see what happens with him. We've obviously had uh, a couple of international prospects who have come to Duke before, and I don't think we've yet had one, unless you want to count Luol Deng, uh, who played high school ball in the U.S., who uh, made a serious impact. So I think it's just a wait and see thing with Jack White. It, you know, Coach K has been at this long enough that if he if he likes him, then then great, um, but we'll see. So speaking of... Um, Speaking of the of the sort of long term commitment, the guys who, who take a while to develop. Not that this particular player took a long time to develop, but he will be in the program for five years. We found out this week that Emil Jefferson is going to be seeking the uh, medical redshirt. So that's uh, that's big news for this program, I think, for both this year um, because he obviously won't be coming back and playing in the tournament, and so the committee isn't going to have to you know think about the potential for Emil Jefferson coming back. Teams don't have to plan for him, and then um, looking ahead to next year, it adds what I think was actually going to be some kind of needed depth 
to the front court. A uh, you know, Emil can can body up on centers a little bit. He's he's obviously going to be like 23 years old, so he has a little bit more experience. Uh, it's going to be a it, he's going to be a great addition, I think, to next year's team. So, Jason, did you want to give some thoughts on Emil Jefferson coming back next year? Well, I mean, you know, it's tough because we're sort of bummed that we're not going to have him um, being a part of this year's team. Uh, as we've noted many times, it, you know, you really felt like the the addition of one more big man, one more guy who could help us tremendously on the boards. This is a guy averaging a double-double. Um, uh, you know, a, a tremendously experienced defender, a great communicator. You felt like he could really help Duke in a year when anyone can win the title. And so, oh, hey, you know, with Emil Jefferson, Duke may be one of the anyone. Um, so that put aside, and, and again, we're bummed. Oh, man, are we going to be good next year? <laughs> I mean, it, this is like we have suddenly landed another top 10 recruit, if you ask me. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree it, with that. It really is. It, it's like it's like you looked at Duke, you know, everyone was at Duke was sort of like, oh, maybe we can get this Marquise Bolden guy who's like a top 20 center. Um, Emil Jefferson is so much better uh, you know, in terms of where he'll be next year compared to what Marquise Bolden is going to be. I guarantee you that. Emil Jefferson is going to be one of the better big men, especially defensively and on the boards in the country. Um, it, it means that the 2016-17 Blue Devils are stacked, loaded. They're going to be unbelievably good. This is going to be one of those Duke teams that um, everyone's going to talk about as as a likely national title um, contender, strong, strong, strong contender. And it's fun to be in that situation. And, and you felt like the only thing, I mean, they were going to be that way, whether Emil Jefferson joined the team or not, but you felt like the one thing that might be missing, the one thing that might be a little source of concern was big men was up front was depth, um, and, and rebounding and such, especially with Harry Giles, um, having uh, his second ACL injury. And, and, you know, you're never sure how a kid's going to come back from that stuff. Obviously, we hope he's going to come back really strong and justify the number one ranking that he has earned. But this gives you insurance and, and you know, even more than insurance, it gives you a, a great leader, a guy who can teach the big men, who can teach defense, who can communicate. It's, it's fabulous for 2016-17 Duke. Again, I'm bummed for 2015-16 Duke, but oh boy, oh boy, is the future bright. Go ahead, Donald. I think that uh, it, one is bitter. It's a bittersweet, you know, piece of news. It right. It's you know, it's very frustrating for Emil. I know he does not want to sit on the bench. He wants to be out there playing. Uh, but I love that we are going to have his leadership and his rebounding here next year. You know, we we talk about how much of a leader he has been uh, the last couple of years, especially and especially this year, where we we really learned uh, that we have missed his leadership this year. Uh, next year, having those guys, you know, all the, you know, this new crop of talent coming in, we're going to need a lot of leaders. And if we do lose, uh, you know, Grayson Allen, if we lose Brandon Ingram, we're only going to have two seniors next year. It's going to be Emil and it's going to be Matt Jones. And we're not going to have any juniors. So we, uh, the, the leadership aspect of that cannot be overstated. I think that is going to be the most important thing that he brings. And he brings everything to the table for next year. And, and I'm not, uh, I don't want to say that, that that is overshadowing anything that he does on the floor. But I really think that this leadership thing is going to be a very big deal. And it's going to be one of the main reasons why we are that title contender next year. Yeah, and, and kind of underrated, if, uh, if Grayson Allen doesn't come back, then Matt Jones is going to be the only you know, junior or senior on this team. Exactly. So the, the, that leadership, I think, is the most important thing that Jefferson brings. But the 
rebounding and the and the depth in, in the front court is right behind it. And so, just yeah. the talking on defense, especially his you know his yeah. defensive skills, just the way he quarterbacks the defense, that's also going to be something that's very very uh, that's very you know uh, been not overlooked, but it's been something that's been highlighted in his absence this year. And now we'll actually get to have it back. And on top of all that. He gets to have a full senior year. He deserves that. He's given so much to this program. I really, you know, we, we've talked, you know, for the last few weeks about whether or not he should redshirt. Now that it's here, I really am glad that he gets to have a full senior season. He'll have almost a full year since the injury to become healthy, uh, completely 100%. So I, I have no uh, reason why um, he can't come back next year stronger than ever. So let's finish off by, uh, by looking ahead at what's coming up this season. Uh, and as I mentioned before, we are now we are now into the postseason. We're finished with the regular season. Duke um, Duke begins play in the ACC tournament on Wednesday uh, against either I believe it's NC State or Wake Forest. Is that right, guys? Correct. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Wait, NC State or Wake Forest, um, both of whom had sort of disappointing seasons. So they play on Tuesday, and then and then Duke gets the winner of that game uh, Wednesday at two p.m. Eastern time. Um, Donald is going to be in attendance for the ACC tournament. I'm going to consider him the sort of de facto. Uh, Duke Master of Ceremonies for the uh, for the ACC tournament. So I'll throw it to him first, Donald. What are you looking for from Duke in the ACC tournament? Um, maybe maybe focusing on that on that first game, but uh, but really looking at the thing as a whole. The the first two games against, or I guess the first game against NC State or Wake Forest uh, is one that we would probably be favorited. We you know we won we faced both of them twice this year. We won both matchups. Uh, you know, NC State, we won 88-78 in Raleigh. We won 88-80 in Cameron. Wake, we won 91-75 in Winston-Salem. And then just last week, uh, we faced them uh, and won 79-71 in uh, a matchup that was very, very tough uh, uh, on the floor. I think, you know, with with both teams, their, their front courts are going to be the ones that uh, are the issue. Uh, they're the ones that gave us issues in the front court uh, this season, especially with uh, Devin Thomas uh, for Wake Forest and uh, BJ Anya and, and uh, I'm forgetting the other guy for uh, NC State. Um, the, oh, the guy. The, um, oh, what's his I'm name? Forget- well, sorry, other guy that we forgot his name, but you're actually really good too. And you, you, you torched us in, in Cameron. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I, I I think that both teams are are teams that we can easily handle. We we obviously have uh, done it twice. There's no reason why we can't do it a third time. My concern, I, I think, the draw is that we have for this tournament, us being the five seed, actually plays out fairly well for us uh, to get to the semifinals, and then we face where we would likely face a UNC. The issue that I have, obviously, is our depth. You know, we're going to have to to win the ACC tournament. We're going to have to win four games in four days. That is a, a tall task to ask for any team, much less one that usually employs six players on the court um, during games. So I, I think that's the main concern. I know the coaches are going to be ready and, and have a game plan, not only for each team, but also to counteract this fatigue that will set in. It sets in for every team. It is a war of attrition uh, in the ACC tournament. All these games are going to be very, very uh, testy. There's going to be a lot of fouls. It's going to be very physical. And the, the games are going to come with seemingly one right after the other. So I'm looking forward to it all. I, it's my first ACC tournament that I'll be in the house for. Uh, and I think the, the atmosphere is going to be electric. Everybody's really excited about it. And I'm really excited to see how our team can do. This is, our, this is the, the, the main test now. We're in, we're in the season that we've waited for all year. It's the, it's the greatest month in sports. It's March. And 
let's see what our team can do. Hey, Donald, you know, how are you, how are you going to deal with all the Maryland fans? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Jason, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, the guy whose name you couldn't remember was Abdul Malik Abu. Abu, um, that's yeah, it. Who had sorry. 17 rebounds and 16 points against us in Cameron. Sorry, yeah, sorry. you're right. I mean, he's a beast, and we, we got to worry anyway, rebounding. Rebound, we got to worry about rebounding. Um, I, I agree with you. I kind of like the way that the bracket sets up for us from this, from this standpoint. Um, for a team that is uh, exhausted, um, and, and uh, you know, you can't talk about this without talking about four games in four days as, as what we potentially face. Um, I like a 2 p.m. We've got a 2 p.m. slot. For, for the first two games. Um, we're not in the late evening games. I think that it's harder to come down after a late evening game and get your rest and get, you know, uh, get get your sleep in and all that other stuff. An afternoon game, it's sort of a lot easier. So I think that that sets up well for us. Um, and I'll tell you another thing. I, I know Coach K won't do this, but I sort of wish he would just, you know, chase Jeter. Um, hey, maybe Frank or Obi, uh, you know, just – Play more guys. Give us the rest that we would get if we had a legit bench. And if we lose the game, we lose the game. But, uh, you know, don't don't kill Grayson and Brandon and, and everybody else by playing them 39 minutes per game in these games. Maybe see what happens if they only play 35 and if they're a little more rested. And like I say, if we lose, we lose. Um, but, but uh, you know, don't make us so tired that the, the NCAA tournament which is the one that really matters, um, uh, you know, that we're too tired to, to play well in, in that one. Um, so that, that's the only other thing I'd add to what you said. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was going to add on top of the, you know, talking about the condensed schedule that Duke really needs to win. Obviously, he really needs to win the first game because if Duke loses the first game, they're losing to a team that is absolutely not making the tournament. And it looks very bad on the resume, especially given that they've had a couple other losses recently, although to much more competitive teams. The second game, um, if Duke wins the first game, the second game I believe is against Notre Dame. Um, yep. So Notre Dame is a is a is a tournament team, right? They've been very competitive this year. They're going to get a nice seed in the tournament. Um, I think that it it behooves Duke to win the, uh, the first game and then that game very much. The beating the following game, so it'd be that like UNC or whoever it would be. Um, I think there are diminishing returns maybe until you get to the championship. So that third game would be the place where I would say, yeah, ex- exercise the depth, see what happens against the um, the first round opponent, the Wake Forest or NC State, and then against uh, against Notre Dame. I think they really need to they really need to to go all out and have the guys play as much as they can um, because beating Notre Dame, I think, changes your seed line. I think that unless they go and win the championship, it won't change it much if they like win in the semifinals, um, just because they have to prove that they're still capable of beating you know, a, a highly ranked, very competitive team this late in the season because they went through that that stretch against UNC and UVA and Louisville where they did very well. And then it kind of tailed off. And then, you know, we, we addressed talking about Brandon Ingram. So I think that game against Notre Dame is going to be essential for Duke to prove that, hey, you know, we know Emil Jefferson is not going to be here. These are the guys we have, and this is how good we can be, and we can beat a good team. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you something. I, I, I sort of think that – I sort of think that our seed – um, it, we're, we're now into a very, very tight range of what our NCAA seed is going to be. If we manage to win the ACC tournament, I think we're no higher than a three. If we lose, even if we lose to NC State or Wake, yeah, maybe we're a six, but we're probably a five. And other than those two results, I think we're a four. Um, uh, I, 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 I guess, you know, if we make the ACC finals, we're a three, I think. 
Maybe but, there are so many. I mean, there are so many teams that have so many games coming up because of all the conference tournaments that I think the situation is fluid, and you could make arguments for Duke really in both directions. Correct to be like better than people think or worse than people think, and I think the most important thing for that perception is beat a good team here in the ACC tournament to at least prove, hey, who can beat a good team in the ACC tournament, not just bow out to whichever other tournament team they end up playing. Yep, I agree. I agree. Donald, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, so I the only thing I wanted to add was, you know, last year we talked about uh, the depth issues that we had entering the ACC tournament, and we ended up losing in the semifinals. I remember, if I recall correctly, that didn't really affect our seeding too much, and we ended up winning it all. So the the ACC tournament, like you said, if you lose early or go all the way, that's really going to be what will really move the needle one way or the other. But if you, you know, focusing on that, you know, Thursday or Wednesday game, beating the team that you're supposed to beat and then going after Notre Dame and beating them, that's what's going to sit and resonate uh, in the minds of the committee as they start making these decisions. So, guys, I want to uh, wrap up here. Um, we're, like I think we mentioned, we're, we're trying to do this pretty quick. So um, we'll do uh, parting shots and player of the week. I will start with Donald. Uh, give me your, uh, we'll do player of the week first. Go, go ahead and give me your player of the week. My player of the week is Luke Kennard. Um, he scored 20 points against UNC, and while he didn't lead the team in scoring, that was Grayson Allen. Uh, his points came at crucial times and really got us back in the game, especially in the first half and in the middle of the second half when we were trying to get some momentum. He was very instrumental in making those key shots uh, that allowed us to get the momentum needed to get back into the game and make it close. So my pick is Luke Kennard. And Jason. Um, I, I'm going to go with Grayson Allen. Um, last week, you guys took Allen, and I went um, outside the box and took uh, MP3. This week, um, I'm going back inside the box and taking Grayson Allen, the warrior. I'm just calling him the warrior from now on. Is that, that, that That's your comment? That's there's, no, there's nothing else to say. I, <laughs> okay. He's a warrior. He is. I, uh, the dude goes 150% every single moment. Um uh, he, he cares probably too much about, about winning and playing well and stuff like that. He went to war against Carolina. He goes to war against everyone. And um, I, I don't even want to imagine. I, you know, if he had merely had a decent season, if, he had, if he'd averaged 16 points a game this year, you know, if he was 16 points, which would be great. That's a, real, that's a really good season. Duke would be, what would Duke's record be? We're 22 and nine. If Grayson Allen only this season only averaged 16 points a game, what do you think we'd be? We'd be like, we'd be like 18 and tw- we'd be like 18 we'd be, and 12. We'd be 18 losing to Boston College, which no one does. No, 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 we wouldn't lose to Boston College. No one loses to Boston College. <laughs> but, but I mean, Grayson Allen has willed this team to where it is. He's the Warrior. He's my Player of the Week. Yeah, I, I was kind of between him and then sort of taking it overall season. And, and I know we'll do like a sort of a player of the season thing, you know, a wrap up at the end. Um, but I'll, I'll merge my player of the week and my parting shot together, which is uh, Marshall Plumley, um, who I mean, wasn't necessarily the most effective against UNC. He did his best. Senior, uh, senior. But senior game, his last game in Cameron, um, he gave what I thought was a, a rather short senior speech. Um, but if you can go on to the um, you can go on to goduke.com and watch it it didn't last very long but um, you could tell that the team was pretty drained they they all came out and and stood behind him while he grabbed the microphone and and told the fans that they were the greatest fans in the world and et cetera et cetera um, it said something about 
how uh, he hoped that the uh, he hoped that the Duke fans enjoyed having so many years of Plumley, and the, and then he was happy to be a part of it. And that was really adorable. Um, but uh, but he kept it short because it seemed like I mean, looking at the team, it seemed like they were all pretty drained. They were obviously tired from playing the game and also upset that they had lost in a, in a way that I think they could have pulled out and won. And they they sort of knew that that was the case. So my parting shot is just kind of about Marshall and and getting to watch his senior speech, which wasn't that long. But um, but which did provide with a, for a, a little moment of uh, of uh, of hilarity, as we have uh, come to expect from him. So I will now conclude with parting shots from the rest of you, Jason. Your parting shot. So uh, I got two of them. Um, the first one is uh, a shout out to the All ACC team that was announced today. Grayson Allen made first team All ACC. As I mentioned, if Grayson Allen was merely second team All ACC. Duke would be terrible this year. Um, uh, uh, Brandon Ingram was second team All ACC, had a fine, fine, fine season. Brandon Ingram was named uh, to the All ACC freshman team. He was ACC freshman of the year, and it wasn't unanimous, which is kind of crazy to me. I, I can't. Uh, he got forty-eight of fifty-one votes for ACC freshman of the year. How it wasn't unanimous, I have no idea. Who Dwayne Bacon. Dwayne Bacon, Malik Beasley of Florida State, and Malachi Richardson of Syracuse, whose All mother right. must be voting. I swear to God, I, I don't know how Malachi Richardson got a vote. Um, you know, nice player. That's nice player. comical. Deserved to make the ACC All-Freshman team, but but the notion that someone said, oh, yeah, he was better than Brandon Ingram is like, you can't even laugh at that. You want to be like, dude, you should be committed to an insane asylum. I mean, um, Brandon Ingram was a dude Brandon Ingram was a dude with a bunch of potential that came in and, and potentially has played his way into being like the number one pick based on performance on top of that potential. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. It's, it's, it's insane. So uh, a couple other awards I want to mention. ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Marshall Plumley got votes there. Nice, you know, good shout out to Marshall, who I think had a very, very nice defensive season for Duke. Um, and the most improved player of the year in the ACC was not Grayson Allen, which just shocks Terrible. me. He came in second to Jaron Blossom game of, of Clemson, who, by the way, made first team all ACC. So and, and was incredible him. and was incredible yeah. this year yep. to his credit. Uh, by the way, Luke Kennard came in third in sixth man of the year voting behind Isaiah Hicks and Jaquan Newton. Um, but Luke Kennard had a great season for a freshman to come in third in sixth man of the year. It's really nice. And then the last one I want to mention is somehow, explain this to me, in the ACC Coach of the Year voting, Coach K doesn't get a single vote. Jim Laranega of Miami won Coach of the Year. I got no problem with that. Buzz Williams came in second. It was very close. And by the way, I actually think Buzz Williams was the coach of the year. What he did at Virginia Tech was truly impressive. But how does Coach K not get a single vote? Brian Gregory. Brian Gregory at Georgia Tech got a vote. Roy Williams got a vote. Roy Williams did a terrible job this year. I think even though, they, saw, even I, though I, they won. Brian, the Gregory, Brian Gregory got a vote. That's terrible. Stop. I think yeah. I saw somewhere recently that, that Coach K has more national player of the year National Coach of the Year, yes. or something yeah. than the yes. ACC. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the, the ACC Player of the or Coach of the Year award is is stupid, right? I mean, it, it's it's just saying which of these coaches uh, under recruited and overperformed with the recruits that they got. And yeah, Coach K is exactly. never going to get he's never going to get credit for for the recruiting when it comes to Coach of the Year because it apparently only matters from you know October to to March, and it's not the whole year, and it's not the previous year. Um, the job that, that Coach K did in, or that all these coaches did in the 2015-2016 season started in like 2013 when they started making contact with all these recruits. So he's never going to get credit for it, but none of the top coaches are going to get credit for it, right? So it's it's just not, I don't think it's something worth harping on. I think that you make a good point, and, if it, and it would be nice if things were different, but at least 
at least our players get plenty of recognition. I can't believe that Marshall Plumley was that high on the defensive player of the year list. Um, major kudos to him. So, uh, Donald, I'll throw it to you. Finally. So my parting shot is I, I want to extend a thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast and who actually tells us about it because it's something, you know, we always talk about, you know, it seems like it's just us three guys talking on uh, on this Uber conference line that we use. And we, you know, don't know if anyone's actually ever listening. And it's great to get the feedback. So I wanted to give a special shout out to uh, Lauren Hendricks. She's one of my friends from here in D.C. and is probably our biggest podcast fan. I will probably go. I can go on record and say that she is without a doubt, our biggest fan. She talks about our podcast all the time. Whenever she runs into me, she's always asking questions about podcasts or saying that she liked this segment or that segment or this episode or that episode. I, I really appreciate getting to meet people at random times. So yesterday uh, for the game, before the game, I got stopped by three different people, one at an outlet mall and two at the Duke DC watch party who said that they recognized my voice from the podcast and said that we were doing a great job. I, I don't know why someone found my voice at an outlet mall because I wasn't speaking at that time. I just had just asked somebody for directions. And, but it, it's great to know that our, you know, kind of our podcast is out there and it's only because people out there that are listening uh, are listening. So I, I just want to take my party shot to say thank you. And if you're at the ACC tournament, come holler at me. I'm in section 407 with the Iron Boots. Uh-huh. Donald, which of which of the DC area's fine uh, outlet malls were you shopping at? I was at the well, relatively new one, which is by National Harbor. Oh, lovely! I didn't even know that they had built one there. Um, they, I, I I also I also interacted with a uh, with a guy this week who was a listener to the podcast and, and thought that was cool. So um, I think with that, um, thank you, Donald, for for those shoutouts. Um, and I think with that, we're gonna we're gonna finish up here. So uh, we'll be back with you guys next week to preview the, tur- the, the NCAA tournament after the ACC tournament is over. So for Jason and Donald, I'm Sam. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. And Duke Band, please take us home.